Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies this week. We watched this week <laughs> before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And this episode is part of our series on series, The Rad Rap, where we watch a series of films with a common thread linking them together and then unpack our thoughts and feelings on each film in the series. And at the end of it all, we will declare the series radically wrapped. Hell yeah. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. We're back. For the Edmonton International Film Festival, aka IFE, twenty twenty three, we're it. It was great. We went to more films than we went to last year. Same amount. I don't know. Something around there. We went to six films. <laughs> um, there was a seventh that we wanted to see, but the timing just didn't work out for us. Um, and we anticipate getting to see it in the future. Um, but we saw six films that we're very excited to talk about. Yeah, this year was really unique and interesting for IFE, um, and we were more involved than we've ever been. So just for a little background that I want to share, so I work for an ad agency, and my agency does the creative concepts for the campaigns each year for the past five years for IFE, and that's that was my introduction to them. Like I always knew the festival existed, but then becoming a client really opened my eyes to them and the things that they do. And they've evolved so much in since the five years, since starting to work with them five years ago. And just through the nature of our podcast, we've become involved in a new way. And this year was really fun. The, the whole campaign that they had running this year was all around the idea of it being a marathon. There's so many films. There's the, the, the tagline was, uh, 11 days, 115 films, it's a marathon. And not only was it the number of films that was a marathon, but IFE's usual home of landmark cinemas in City Center in Edmonton, they shut down for renovations exactly when IFE was supposed to be happening. So IFE lost its home and they had to scramble to make it work. And they found several locations across the city, one of which was the Telus World of Science. And they only have an IMAX screen. So there were some movies that we saw that were in IMAX. While they weren't made for IMAX, very big experience and very a very cool opportunity for IFE to be in a part of the city where in the past they typically haven't been. But a couple of the cool things that we got to do is we got to moderate a Q&A for one of the films. We'll talk a bit about that later. But uh, IFE did an activation this year to tie into the whole marathon theme 
they actually sponsored a the, the busiest hydration station at the official Edmonton Marathon this year. And you and I went out and helped volunteer and hand out water and electrolytes, electrolytes <laughs> to all of the athletes that were participating in the marathon. And it took us a minute to learn how to make that transfer smooth for them. So apologies to the first the front people that runners. came through. <laughs> yeah. People you really don't want to muck it up for. But once I mastered it, oh man, I was the person you wanted to get your water or electrolytes from. And you know, it was just, it's it was such a cool space to see a film festival present. And everybody, I think everybody was a little bit like, how is this going to work? How are we going to fit in here? But as soon as we found a rhythm... It was such a rewarding experience. I think both you and I felt that way as well. And it was so fun. And I'm so grateful that we got to be a part of that. But yeah, it was it was great to be to play a little bit of a larger role in IFE this year. So all of that said, let's get into the films that we watched. So the first film that we went out to see and just so happened to be at the Tells World of Science in IMAX was the 2023 horror mystery thriller sleep it was written and directed by jason yu and our two leads in it are lee sung kyun as hun su and john yu mi as su jin synopsis a pregnant wife becomes worried about her husband's sleeping habits what starts out as some light sleep talking soon escalates to unexpectedly grotesque behavior i knew nothing about this movie but i read that synopsis i'm like we should probably get tickets to this because that sounds sick yeah we kind of whenever the ife schedule is released there's usually a couple of films we're really hoping will be on there. A um, couple of the biggies that we're, we were hoping would be were. A couple of the biggies that we were hoping would be weren't. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of look at what else is there and what seems interesting to us and fits in our schedule. And this was one where we're like, it's a horror movie, creepy subject matter, great mm-hmm. title. Let's do it. Yeah. What do you think of Sleep? I liked it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did. Um, it feels like it was so long ago that we saw this. We had... We did a lot of this week um, having a hangout with friends and then going to an IFE movie together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had had a lovely dinner with our two friends, Haley and Catherine. And then Haley came with us to see this because Telesportal Science is five minutes away from their house. Yeah. Which is just How oh, you're not so there all great. the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah. Get annual passes. Uh, and we, you know, we didn't quite anticipate how busy it would be and how big the IMAX screen would be. So we were a little too close to the front, which we learned our lesson for on future films, especially when they were subtitled. Yeah. But in terms of the film itself, I just thought it was so good at building that level of like dread. Yes. And tension. And it had such a keen sense of how to weave that through in a way that like kept your chest tight. Mm-hmm. And then even though it's not horrific throughout, there is some true nightmare imagery sprinkled throughout it. Like that really kind of seeps into your subconscious <laughs> yeah. and you can't let go of. Yeah. I mean, like right off the bat, Lee Sung Kun, I was like, oh my God, is that Mr. Park? Respect. <laughs> Respect indeed. <laughs> it's always cool to see um, an actor that you've seen in just like one thing you really love pop up somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, we did try and watch that show. Is it called Mr. Brain? Mr. Brian. Yes. Um, but we... We were just busy and TV shows are not really on our radar as much as they used to be. I'm sure it's a great show, but we just didn't finish watching it. And he's the lead in that as well. But yeah. um, 
he's great in this. I love that he gets to be like a handsome good man and not like the douchey rich husband. Yeah. Um, Cause he is a very handsome man Yeah, and he gets to play this like dual role of when he's awake, he's a really good guy, but when he's asleep, it's pretty creepy. Yeah. And as things keep happening night after night and the things he does in his sleep escalate and you have, it's like Chekhov's pregnant wife. <laughs> You're like, what's going to happen? When is this going to come to a head? Oh, they have a dog. Is something going to happen to the dog? I mean, yeah, this is probably. definitely a movie to check. Does the dog die.com before watching it? If there's not just dog stuff that bothers you, mm-hmm. um, because there's lots, there's some things in here that might be hard nose for people that I don't think they get incredibly graphic with anything, but you know, there's, there's a pregnant wife, there are dogs. Do with that information what you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this was really great at building tension. There was some truly upsetting things, both subtle to not subtle at all. And I thought that this was gorgeously crafted and shot. And seeing some of these, there's some shots that I felt seeing it fully blown out on an IMAX screen was really incredible. It, it Some of it actually just kind of gave me like Park Chan-wook vibes of just the camera work and how composition and lighting and framing all came together to just evoke a feeling without having to necessarily rely on dialogue to do that. What's interesting about you saying that is that um, Jason Yu has actually worked with Bong Joon-ho. So he was his assistant mm. director on Okja. Um, and I think they became quite close. And Jason Yu has talked about Bong Joon-ho as like a significant mentor in his life. Um, and Bong Joon-ho actually has said about sleep. Um, so this is a quote from him translated. Um, quote, this sleep is the most unique horror film and the smartest debut film I've seen in 10 years. Mm. Because this is Jason Yu's first film. And I think as a first film. Brilliant. I'm so excited to see how he continues to like adapt his own style and I love a new horror filmmaker who's also interested in saying something with that horror film. Like I was so focused on just the journey of what was going to happen. But I think if I were to rewatch sleep, there is a lot in here about partnership and relationship and trust and the roles that everybody has in a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Communication, how you, how you deal with a conflict that isn't even necessarily one person's issue just like something Mm -hmm. difficult happening in your life how you take that on together yeah um and i think there's some really smart stuff going on in there and then at the same time it can be quite funny Mm -hmm. it's it can be quite scary and it also looks gorgeous yeah and i think that's something i'm curious to see if in subsequent films that jason Yu creates is there were a, a few shots in this especially towards the end of the film Shots that can take the information that's been given to you that has been given to you throughout the film and take certain aspects of it and shift it from reliable information to unreliable information with one shot. And it can throw so many things into question. And I don't think that's too far divorced from a Bong Jun Ho, Park Chan Wook, or even like a Julia DeCorno. And I think that that is just some brilliant, fresh filmmaking. It's exciting. And I'm with you. I am so 
looking forward to what Jason Yu's career as a writer director becomes. How did it make you feel? Made me feel a creeping dread. Yeah. How did it make you feel? Totally engaged, tension laden, and compelled. The second film we went to uh, was the only documentary that we went to for the IFE season. Um, it's called Jeff McFetridge Drawing a Life. It was directed by Dan Covert and written by him as well as Eric Oli and Amy Dempsey. As a documentary, it features a whole lot of people, um, but it is focused in on Jeff McFetridge, the artist, his wife, Sarah DeVincentis, and there is some Spike Jones in it, mm-hmm. um, which might get people who haven't heard of um, this artist but have definitely seen his work um, interested in the film. And then Sofia Coppola has a brief moment in it. And there's a whole lot of other people featured in it as well. But those are kind of the people I wanted to highlight. Yeah. The synopsis is the iconic work of artist Jeff McFetridge is everywhere. But this film is more than a primer on his career. It's about the choices we confront in trying to lead meaningful lives and how we use our most precious resource, time. A really good synopsis. Yeah. What did you think of Jeff McFetridge drawing a life? I was really interested uh, in this, just like kind of reading about it. um, And I didn't really know the name Jeff McFetridge, McFetridge. And that seems to kind of be the case where people don't know his name, but more than likely you've seen his work somewhere. Like as we're watching the film and they're showing some of his previous work, I'm like, oh shit, I've seen this. Or he did this for this person or this artist or this film and it's like oh yeah it's everywhere and we've all probably seen it at one time or another and his work spans like the artistic realm the graphic design realm and then also the film world um he's worked with spike jones on i think every film spike jones has done but the thing that was most jaw-dropping is that he did everything for her Mm -hmm. like he designed what the like devices would look like and how like the screen's and like interfaces would be. He also like did all of the like handwritten letters. Um, and his art is in the film itself in the place where um, Joaquin Phoenix's character works. Mm-hmm. And that's a film we've seen a handful of times. And that even the first time we saw her, we, I think one of the things we were left with was like the beauty of the world, like the um, minimalist, simple, but really warm, lovely world and mm-hmm. he had such a hand in that and we didn't know it yeah um and one of the reasons that i think this documentary maybe was especially exciting for people in edmonton and calgary is that jeff McFetridge is from calgary so mm-hmm. you know we as canadians and as albertans especially don't have that many people to claim as our own yeah. so if we can claim <laughs> anyone we will um and that was especially exciting to see someone who live their lives in the suburbs of Calgary and has gone on to do such exciting work. Yeah, absolutely. And the background we get of just his upbringing and where he comes from, I mean, it's, it's not unlike you or I, where you grow up in the suburbs and you just look for shit to do. You just ride your bike or skateboard around and you discover music and hang out with your friends and try to figure out where, your creativity fits in in the world. And I found you, you said this, and I thought that this was so true of, of this documentary is that you feel by the end of it, you just feel really creatively inspired no matter what your creative background is. 
Yeah, I think one of the things that this film does so well, and I actually spoke about it to my creative writing students, and I think it would be a great film for anyone who's creative to watch, is it shows his progression and it shows how he develops his style, shifts his style over time, and it also shows his process. Like yeah. We are constantly looking at his sketchbooks, sketchbooks from when he was like a teenager to now he's never stopped that practice of constantly being in his craft, even when it's not paid time for a project or working on a specific piece he's drawing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he's pushing his process in other ways. There's a really beautiful part of the film where he talks about how if he's on a vacation, he often does something in watercolor in his sketchbook because it feels like capturing a memory. Hmm. Um, And there's a lot of little moments where you just see like how he goes about that process of keeping his mind in a creative space um, and how to like avoid that, that block of, I have to create something perfect right now. Uh, And I think just seeing the evolution of his style and how it's not done evolving yet is really, really inspiring from a creative lens, regardless of what medium you work in. Well, and I think what's so inspiring about Jeff's work in particular is that he, it was so cool, like seeing his sketches and his books. And there's definitely a style that he has for his most marketable stuff for the stuff that people are more likely to buy like prints of or originals of. But then he has a completely different style. That's not like that for his watercolors. Mm -hmm. And then there's some, drawings and like uh installation art that he does that is unlike that stuff as well so i so respect somebody that is willing to push outside of just one medium or one specific style because they need to express themselves in different ways and want to push themselves in those ways and like i think that we all can become and i'm super guilty of this just like creatures of habit like you fall into your comfort zone in creativity and i think the best stuff can kind of come out of when you start to push yourself and you start making mistakes and discovering new things. It's, it sounds so like cliche and kind of trite to say that because everybody kind of says that, but I know when I've done that, it's, I've been successful (laughs) with that. And you know, one of the other things it shows is allowing the feedback of the people who like actually matter to you to inform your work. Like there's a point in the documentary where it's clear that he's developed this kind of minimalist painting style that is very successful and people really like. And yet his wife challenges him and says, I don't see any emotion in this. I don't see any vulnerability in this. Yes, there's themes. Yes, there's objective meaning, but where are you in it? And he realizes that he's not that comfortable putting his vulnerability into his work and pushes himself to do so and then reaches a different level with that same style that he is more proud of because he's willing to like take that feedback of someone who is deeply important to him mm-hmm. and he doesn't critique his art just for the sake of it. Um, so being open to that and how other people might help you push your art. But then the other part of this film is just what it means to be a good human being. Yeah. Like what it means to, as the synopsis says, use your most pre- precious resource time. Um, this was a film where we, the, the film rather that we uh, did a Q and a for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got to speak um, with Dan Covert who the film was his idea and he shot and edited it. Um, we learned that it was three, one year of shooting three years of editing, yeah, which is whew, 
Um, and he said, at one point you asked him how many different versions there were of it. And I think he said, oh, like 634 or yeah, something like that, nuts. which I don't know if he's being hyperbolic or not, but lots of different versions. And, you know, throughout our conversation with him, he said he he started because we asked him, like, why why a documentary on on this guy? You could make a documentary about anything. And he said, well, I love his art. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a huge collection of his work. And I admire him. And he said, but through that time making the documentary, he realized it wasn't just about his art. It was about who he is as a human being and how his philosophy of life that, you know, you, you balance the things that matter to you and you make the time for them. So balancing this creative practice with, he's also a runner with spending time with his family um, and how to make sure that that happens for you. Dan Covert said like that's what he came away from this film changed the most by and and developing some of those practices in his own life. And that's what he hopes audiences get from it as well. That first they either learn that they've seen Jeff McFetrick work their whole lives mm-hmm. or that they just are exposed to his work. But secondly, that they're inspired by the way he functions as a human being, yeah. not just as a creative. Yeah. And like that has been that was such a takeaway for me, especially after doing our Q&A with Dan and it's something I've been trying to focus on more in my life, um, at least in my professional life, is just being more in control of my time. And I think, you know what, we're doing it too in our own lives. Like, we're going to do it right after we finish recording here. We sit down every week and look at our calendars and add things that we're going to be doing or events. And we take out up. things that we have decided now in looking at the week. We don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. So, and it's helped us a lot, especially me. Um, even though I still come to you and I'm like, what are we doing today? But I do refer to my calendar, even if you believe it or not, quite often to remind myself of what we got going on. I don't know if I believe that, (laughs) but okay. I do it more when you're not around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I just want to pop back to the bit about Jeff getting feedback from his wife because I... I, I have very I'm very grateful for that dynamic that I have with you where as somebody that works in advertising, I love being with somebody that hates advertising. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. <laughs> so somebody that doesn't is not a big fan of the medium and can be hypercritical of whatever I'm working on. I I I, I appreciate it. If so I much. like it, you know it's real good because I don't typically like any advertising. That's right. It's a good barometer. And I think it helps all creative people to have somebody like that that is important in their life and they really value their opinion and will just give it to you straight, man. Just a couple more points on this is just I really, and I, I, I said this to Dan after the, the q and uh, the vibes and the aesthetics weren't unlike a Mike Mills film, especially because he mentioned during the Q&A that it kind of shifted from wanting to, just kind of focus on Jeff and his art and wanting to tell a story about family and connection. And that's very Mike Millsy. And I really appreciated that. But you brought this up and this is probably the most important part of the whole thing is that we are even fewer degrees of separation away now from Spike Jones and Sophia Coppola. And Walking Phoenix. And Karen O. Oh, Karen O. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we now have spent time with, shook hands with, chatted with both at the Q&A and afterwards. Dan was very kind and we all just kind of shot the shit for a while afterwards, just the three of us and then some of the lovely folks at IFE um, before we took off. 
and he has spent time with Spike Jones. Yeah. So <laughs> we are basically one degree of separation away from him. And that means we're pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty almost famous. <laughs> pretty almost famous. Ain't that the truth? How did Jeff McFetridge drawing a life make you feel? Uh, creatively inspired. How did make you feel? Oh, one of those moments where we say the same thing. Uh, creatively and humanly inspired. Oh, leveled up. Not humanely, humanly yep. inspired humanly. in a human way. Beautiful. If you have, if you are a creative person, even if you're not, highly recommend checking it out because it is quite inspiring. I mean, the difficult thing about these IFE movies is now that we've watched them, they're not available anywhere. But keep your eye out for these things um, after these films play at festivals and complete the festival circuit. They're either have already successfully found um, a distributor to be in theaters or to be streamed. And uh, based on our Q and a with Dan, it sounds like he's very close to being um, solidifying a streamer for this. And I think it's one that is definitely worth checking out. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. Next one is a biggie. It was one of the, our most anticipated ones of the festival and of the year. It was the 2023 drama mystery thriller Anatomy of a Fall. It was the Cannes Palme d'Or winner. It was directed by Justine Trier, as well as written by her and Arthur Harari. And it stars Sandra Hewler as Sandra, Swan Arlude as Maitri, Vincent Renzi, Milo Machado Graner as Daniel, and Samuel Teese as Samuel. I'm well. Samuel. 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 Synopsis. A woman is suspected of her husband's murder and their blind son faces a moral dilemma as the sole witness. What do you think of Anatomy of a Fall? I was obviously, yes, very excited for this. We're always keen to see the Palme d'Or winner, even if it ends up not being our favorite film ever. I don't think that Cannes has ever gotten it totally wrong. Like, it's going to be a good film. Mm-hmm. Um and I really tried to know as little about this as possible. Yeah. I don't think we watched a trailer for it. No. Um, but I had seen that it was getting good reviews. People were liking it. So as we went into it, and it's a longer film. It's two and a half hours, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really didn't know what to expect. And what this film did from the opening to the closing is just fill me with so much physically pulsating emotion. Yeah. Like it was tension. It was dread. It was anger. It was frustration. Like it was just building and building and building inside of me until a scene where I did not expect to all of a sudden just burst and start crying. Yeah. Like it was just like it kept rising and rising. Like I felt very physically impacted by this film. Now, part of that may be that the opening scene contains um one of your nightmares yes uh, as somebody with a undiagnosed but likely existing sensory processing disorder where i'm most impacted by sound um the opening scene just like boiled my blood and i wanted to murder someone (laughs) and i think that the film really effectively creates that realm of possibility where like you feel the frustration and anger of Sandra to the point that like, you're like, well, I would have pushed that guy off the balcony, (laughs) but the film is ultimately an ambiguous film. Like it, it deals with the reality of our world, which is that sometimes we don't get an answer. All we can do is look at the information that we have and decide for ourselves what we believe is true. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, this did not disappoint. And you described the feelings throughout perfectly. And I mean, that opening scene, it was enough to make anybody sensory processing disorder or not just want to flick the husband right in the forehead. Um, And I know that this also ruffled some feathers online that this won the Palme d'Or over Zone of Interest. And we haven't seen Zone of Interest. We want to. But I totally see this as well-deserved and and deserving certainly of the Palme d'Or, especially like if you're comparing it to last year, Triangle of Sadness. Like I, I think this is the same caliber of film. Yeah, I thought it was an excellent, excellent film. And I mean, your mileage might vary depending on your interest in like courtroom stuff. Like I, we have been fans of like HBO crime court docs like the staircase like the jinx um and this kind of plays in that sandbox while allowing like ambiguity to be the focus like the goal isn't really to decide or prove definitively what somebody has or has not done it's to think about how the court system wants that and yet life and like human perception and the fallibility of memory and the the way that when you take something out of context, it can reshape an event and human psyche and human bias and the narratives we try to tell and the way that the, the court system is built on telling a narrative. Yeah. And spectacle. How, yeah. And spectacle and all of that, how it creates these conditions where at the end of the day, all we can do is take the information we're given and, and, and make a choice. And I feel like even when, you know, when you watch something like the staircase, regardless of what the verdict is, you come away having your own feeling about whether you think that person committed this crime or not. And the documentary itself is telling a narrative by putting in certain information and taking out other information and focusing more in on this. And that's what happens in a courtroom as well. And there's more than once in this film where um, Sandra says, but you're taking one piece. Mm -hmm. And if you took a different piece you might be able to like tell it in this other way and you know, where her lawyer says the truth doesn't matter, you know, and, and as someone who believes that most of the systems in our world are broken, I think that this was a really great example of how the legal system is broken, that it actually isn't about truth. It actually isn't about the process of reasonable doubt. Mm hmm. It's about trying to win a case. Yeah. It's about creating a perception and then running to, with that. to win a case. Yeah. Right. And so it's more of a drama. It's more of a spectacle than it is a dedicated desire for the truth. Yeah. It's, it's so fucked. It's just like a fucked up play, but you're playing with people's lives. And I think that this film does such a great job of like subtly revealing the dangers of believing in objectivity Mm. of like believing that something can be taken as objective truth and how we try and use things like opinion and selectivity and subjectivity, like memories that are proven to be fallible and that we try and take that part for the whole and make it objective truth. But really it's just a narrative. Oh yeah. And like how it can be, like simple things as lifestyle choices that people make um, or preferences for the kinds of people that people are with or anything like that can just be taken and 
used against them when it's not a vicious thing in the person's life at all. It is a hundred percent a communicated thing. It can well, just yeah. get like it can just get it can get so nasty depending on who is spinning the narrative. Well, I don't think it even matters who, because if the if the goal of a court system is to win cases so you can get more cases, then you're trying to win regardless of whether you're pursuing truth or not. You're just trying to win. Because it sounds good and can sway an opinion. And so within that, the film is revealing like the misogyny and heterosexism that's built into court systems. Of course, also there's racism and transphobia and all of those terrible things. Um, but this film is a white cast, so it's it's focused on that. And it was interesting because when we were watching this, my kind of reference point was really The Staircase. But in reading about it, uh, Justine Trier is was most influenced by Amanda Knox's case. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, looking at the misogyny in how her case was handled, once I knew that, I could totally see how that was the kind of primary point of reference in building the themes and the way that this explores the inherent failures of the court system. Um, and it also makes sense because Amanda Knox's court case was in Europe. Um, yeah. You also said like just the film itself. Um, it did this for me too. Uh, just kind of reminded me of the brilliance of the film St. Omer, which we watched more mm -hmm. recently. I think they're kind of, they're, they're pairs with a, different feeling mm -hmm. um but they both are french court case films uh saint omer definitely didn't get nearly as much attention as i think it deserves it was a really strong film mm -hmm. um do you know that at can they have a palm dog award it's like best dog <laughs> no because snoop won that hell yeah <laughs> there's some tough dog stuff in this i like some very upsetting dog stuff just as a like fyi yeah i also couldn't find definitively one way or the other whether the actor who plays Daniel is blind in real life, but I don't believe he is, so that's a bit of a bummer. Um, the performances are so, so, so strong, and I think the actor who plays Daniel does such a great job, but that is disappointing to have his blindness be such a key part of the film, and yet it doesn't seem like they had um, folks who were blind like involved in the film, um, yeah. which feels a little bit appropriative and troubles me a little bit i'll say yeah i'd say that and some of the dog stuff had me going what are we well the dog is uh sandra healer's dog in real life mm -hmm. so i kind of doubt she allowed anything that was particularly troubling to the dog happen mm. um so i'm gonna trust that that was i i mean i I, mean, I doubt an, yeah. a, an actor allows their dog to be used in the film and then and then is okay with them being traumatized. I think that they just managed to cut it in such a way so that it's distressing. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly hope so. But yeah, Sandra and Daniel were the standouts that made the whole film work so well for me. Um, and yeah, like it's just like this perpetual welling of emo of emotion that built and built and then yeah like you said like it just kind of reached a pinnacle where it just literally took my breath away um i also just wanted to throw out there that samuel 
who is the husband and father in this, the one who falls, is uh, basically just my dad. Yeah, we kind of said that at the, I think I said it and you were like, I, I was thinking that same thing. Uh, yeah, there's some really interesting stuff in here about um, how people handle unhappiness in their lives and to what degree you'll be accountable for it and to what degree you'll blame that on others. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get too much into anything about this film because mm-hmm. I think it's best experienced just kind of as pure as possible. Yeah. I, I, and I think, you know, I'm somebody who really feels long run times and I didn't feel this runtime. Yeah. That being said, like I mentioned earlier, we, we have been like, we've watched the Amanda Knox documentary. We've watched the staircase. We've watched the jinx and the, like we, I, a courtroom drama. That's not like a time to kill. <laughs> Yeah. is is something that we're very interested in and and looking at these systems and the the way we revere these systems that are actually totally fucked mm-hmm. is something that we're very interested in um but i think some other folks could find that wearing on them if they don't like courtroom stuff mm-hmm. um i also personally loved the ending i thought the ending was searing mm-hmm. um i thought it was incredibly impactful but i've read online other people not liking some of the ways that the film itself um, is focused on ambiguity mm-hmm. and perception more than it is on like what we would want from a, or what some people might want from a courtroom. Yeah. Nice drama. little bow on top and all of the answers and seeing everything that our characters didn't get to see or whatever. And it, it was an, in, it's an interesting thing too. Cause I actually felt while we were watching it, you, I've, there were some sequences where you could hear and sense the division happening in within the room in the audience. Like I felt some people, some people are gasping. Some people seem upset or like shifting or like crossing their arms. Like there's some subtle body language stuff I'm seeing out of the corner of my eye. And I think that, you know, for whatever feelings you have throughout the film, I think it's really great when a film can affect an audience that way, where they'll be like, uh, no, or yes, hell yeah, finger snaps. And that's, those are the best kinds of audiences to be a part of. Totally. This was an all in audience and it was quite a, quite a full audience. This is one of those movies that like, I just don't know how much I would get out of it on a second viewing but I think it's such a phenomenal film and such a engaging first experience that I would watch it with somebody who hasn't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how much I would put it on on my own. But it's incredibly well made. It's incredibly well performed. And I, and I really, really liked it. Yep. 100%. How did it make you feel? It made me feel a physically palpable and building tension that brewed, boiled, and then simmered. How did it make you feel? just a perpetual welling of emotion we kind of entered a stage here where everything felt highly emotional the next film that we went to we were really hoping would be at if and it was um it's the 2023 drama close to you this is directed by dominic savage and based on a story by elliot page and dominic savage um this stars elliot page in his first feature film role in quite a long time his first feature film role with elliot page on the credits um, as the protagonist Sam Hillary Bach as Catherine. Um, then there's Sam's entire family, and I'm just going to name four people, but everybody—it's an ensemble cast, and everybody does matter. Uh, David Real as Paul, D- 
Daniel Mislani as Michael, who I'm just naming because it, he is, in fact, Tatiana Mislani's brother. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Outerbridge as Sam's dad and Wendy Crewson as Sam's mom. Synopsis, follow Sam, who has the chance to encounter with an old... <sighs> this is a shit synopsis. I'm just going to redo it. <laughs> <laughs> this film follows Sam, who has the who has a chance encounter with an old friend on his way back home to a dreaded family reunion that forces him to confront long buried memories. I just made that sound a lot better than the poorly written synopsis <laughs> on IMDb. Um, what did you think of Close to You? I mean, first of all, it was so nice to see Elliot Page on the big screen again. And that didn't really hit me until seeing him on screen. I'm just like, man, it has been minutes since I've seen you. And there was a definitely a point in each of our lives before we knew each other where if Elliot Page was in a film, we were going to see that film. 100%. Um, this is somebody whose career, and again, it's, you know, speaking like we like I did about Jeff McFetridge, when somebody's Canadian and you are <laughs> Canadian and there's so few people who have been successful and, like, really speak about being Canadian, but then on top of that, like, how many of those people do you see yourself connected to? And I think that, Elliot Page is somebody who we always felt like, you know, in another, in another world. Um, it was funny. We just went to a movie with our friends, uh, Yensu and Rosiva and they had, they talk about what they call theories. Like, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I think a theory I have is that if I met Elliot Page, we would have been friends. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, the, and you can just feel that when you're younger, like that's somebody I feel like I would connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we both felt that, from a young age when we were, I mean, I think Elliot Page is pretty close to our age. Is he not? I think so. He's 36. So he's three years older than us. We're friends with lots of people who are 36. See, we could be friends. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really exciting to, to have him being something that's not umbrella Academy. Yeah. It's just really, really special. As for the film itself, it took me a bit to settle into the flow of it. And I think that that is likely because we were in the middle of binging the Saw series over the past week. And I was at a point where I started questioning what cinema even was anymore. Yeah. And what is acting? How do <laughs> yeah. you read a line? What is good? What is bad? I don't know. Make your choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we had just, we had just watched the worst Saw film. Yeah. Like directly before heading out to see close to you. And it was also the last one we needed to watch, the ninth film, before we went and saw the tenth a couple days later. So yeah, we were just, we were fully in saw mode. And I, I agree with you. I kind of at first was just like adjusting to going from these hyper melodramatic horror films to this like quiet improvisational drama. Yeah, yeah. But once I acclimated and sunk into the story i was into it uh i thought it was it it just felt so slight so so slice of life and so intimate like it's all handycam shot i think like i don't think there's any static shots in the film but my biggest thing that i took away from this is just i've never seen such a solid true to life representation of complicated family expectations and frustrations that that weren't played for laughs in a movie or in a tv show and that weren't played for like hyper intensity right like i think a lot of us experience 
a version of what Sam is experiencing in the film that might not be able to connect specifically to like the trans masculine experience that Sam is having, but that can connect this idea of, I do love my family and I do want to be connected with them. And yet when I'm around them, I feel misunderstood. I feel harmed in subtle ways. Um, and this like desire for politeness above all else is damaging. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm the only one who sees that. And when I speak up about it, I am a disruptive force in the family. You're difficult. Yeah. yeah. You are the difficult kid and you are causing the family harm when actually it's this desire for, or not desire, but this insistence on suppressing the conflicts and suppressing the honest feelings people have just for the sake of polite family gatherings that is the most harmful. Mm -hmm. And I can really relate to that. Like I, and it was painful and hard to watch. And I uh, mean, you saw this with our friend Tabitha and I was really glad to see it. The three of us, because I think we all felt that in our own individual ways. Like Sam's family is not a one to one for any of our families, but I think each of us have felt like the difficult child in a family that's demanding politeness. Yeah. And in a way that like this film shows so well what it feels like to be that person who doesn't want to be difficult, but is so hurt by not speaking up. Yeah. Just the, the attitude of keeping the peace and that family is the most important thing in one's life. And, you know, I, and I like how you said that, you know, no, none of us that were together there have a one-to-one -one family dynamic as what we see in the film, nor one-to-one -one experience as to what the character of Sam has experienced. But the able, the fact that three of us were able to so relate to it and just I've spent so much time in my adult life talking about and trying to navigate the the truth that is family is not the most important thing in one's life and it's like i and i'm so grateful to have people in my life that can help me navigate that and help with the struggle that i've had with that and i just feel like this so absolutely captured the essence of what that feels like and then some yeah, and then what it does on the other side of it is through that secondary part of the story, which is Sam reconnecting with someone who meant a lot to him when he was in high school. And also through Sam, it's only a brief glimpse, but Sam's relationship with his roommate at the beginning of the film, we see that the importance and the safety and the comfort and the connection that can build in honesty and through difficult and complicated feelings with people who aren't family mm -hmm. and how that can be the safe place that can be home. And that can be the film's definitely not using the language of chosen family, but like a different form of family. Yeah. Um, and there's the whole exploration. I like, seeing past lives gives you the language of Indian of, mm -hmm. of finding people and connecting with them and crossing paths and having different meaning to each other in different lives. And I feel I felt like that was present in this film, too, which was really beautiful. Yeah. And this is another film that has a certain amount of ambiguity, has a certain amount of like lack of resolution. 
because it's a slice of life. Mm -hmm. And that's my favorite kind of film. Mm -hmm. So, you know, looking at people who we, who we don't follow, but just like kind of seeing people who have been, who have seen close to you at TIFF and at IFE. And I, I believe it's, it was, or is at SIF as well. Mm -hmm. Um, real range of ratings. Like some people are just like boring, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, so both for anatomy of a fall and for close to you, um, Vincent, who's the artistic director of IFE, um, introed both of those films. He intros most of the films and he spoke about like content warnings. Um, and in this one, he talked about like content warning for trans sadness. There's a bit of a flippant review that like made fun of that on Letterboxd that I, I think if you are not a trans person, you don't get to make fun of that because I, I think just giving a heads up that this is a movie that explores really sad feelings connected with a trans identity is helpful and important. And I'm grateful for that, um, like heads up that Vincent gave the audience and, and also the invitation that if this becomes too much for you, um, please contact us and, and essentially we'll like find a way to get you your money back. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because this film, I think does a really beautiful job of, weaving trans sadness and trans joy together in like a really quiet and sorrowful tender dance mm-hmm. um in ways that aren't hyper violent in ways that aren't hyper joyful but have that pain and joy are both existing in kind of a quiet way and that's my favorite type of film personally yeah is that like more subdued complex messy nuanced emotion because that's what we feel in real life and I thought Elliot Page was phenomenal in this. I would love to see him continue to, I, I really liked his memoir. I think he's a strong writer, continues to be a strong performer. We've always really liked uh, his work. I would love to see him getting to like be even more in control. Like I, I wonder if he's interested in directing um, because I think this film is really his film mm-hmm. and he's kind of the one whose, whose name matters the most in this. Yeah. I agree. I'm really grateful for this film and the things it chooses to express and focus on. And I'm so happy that even though some of the content was really tough, that there is that ability to relate and connect with it from different people of different backgrounds and different experiences. It feels like the type of film that really would engender vulnerable and meaningful conversations amongst people who watched it together. Like it'd be a real conversation opener. Um, And I love films that invite that in like coming out of that and saying, this is what I related to. And these are some experiences I've had in my own life. And, you know, we were, it was very late and the movie got started later than it was supposed to on a weeknight. So we kind of had to run right afterwards and get home because we had to work the next day. Um, But even in the brief amount of time we talked about it with Tabitha, you know, we were having some pretty vulnerable conversations in about the 10 minutes that we talked. And I can only imagine if it had been a seven o'clock show and we like went for coffee afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I think this is very worth seeing. I think understand it's slow, understand that it's nuanced, understand that it's a slice of life. Um, but so glad to see Elliot Page back on the screen and support his work. Yeah. How did it make you feel? Just so grateful for a complex representation of family and grateful to see Elliot Page on the big screen again. How'd it make you feel? Made me feel a quiet sorrow. Yeah.
Okay. Next film that we went to was the 2023 drama, The Teacher's Lounge. I'm going to struggle my way through these names and I'm going to do my best. So it's directed by Ilker Katak and written by that person as well as Johannes Dunker. And it stars Leonie Benish as Carla, Leonard Steinish as Oscar, Eva Lobau as Frederic Kuhn, uh, Michael Klammer as Thomas, and Anne Catherine Gummich as Dr. Bettina Bohm. Synopsis. When one of her students is suspected of, of theft, teacher Carla Nowak decides to go to the, get to the bottom of the matter. Caught between her ideals and the school system, the consequences of her actions threaten to break her. I read that very dramatically. Yeah, is this a Saw movie? Um, what do you think of the teacher's lounge? So I've definitely talked about this on the show before, but watching things set in schools and particularly focused on teachers is tough for me because I have a hard time like not thinking about like poor practice, like just being like, like why the hell did you leave those kids alone? Like Mm -hmm. you shouldn't leave grade six kids alone. Mm -hmm. Um, And this won't be the first movie that I feel that way in. Um, And because of that, like it is a stressful movie. Like I think it's meant to feel stressful no matter what, but it was particularly stressful for me. And we went to this with our friend Elliot and they kind of nudged me about halfway through it and said, this is your uncut gems. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, no kidding. Like, I mean, there's a certain amount of disconnect I'm able to have with it because um, they're elementary school kids and I do not teach elementary and I'm not interested in teaching elementary. And that's a totally different ball game when like parents are way more involved when you've got the same group of kids all day for an entire year and you're teaching them all the subjects. Mm-hmm. We only ever see her teach math and gym. So I wasn't really sure how that worked, but it did seem like that it was only this group that she taught. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's a tough thing to watch a movie about a teacher when you are a teacher. And it's not like I thought anything they did was unrealistic, but I was just like, bad practice, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Bad teaching practice there. Um, I particularly, I saw her as such a, like, first-year teacher. uh, I'm going to change everything, and I'm going to give kids autonomy, and all of that is so lovely, but you very quickly, that optimism and that, feeling like you're going to change everything and rewire kids experiences with school. You very quickly run up against like the reality of the system, the reality of like the collective feelings about school that these kids already have. You run up against the curriculum, you run up against the bureaucracy of the school. Um, And I've been that first year teacher. And I think that that can result in sometimes making teaching choices that you actually don't agree with out of like exhaustion or frustration Um, and being able to find that balance and that recognition of like what you can and can't change and like also not making teaching your whole life Mm -hmm. is a really important place to get to. So I like really felt that like first year teacher or like beginner teacher vibes in this, um, which was also stressful for me because I don't want to relive my first years of teaching (laughs) again. Um, I just talked about it a whole bunch. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yes, this was a very stressful experience, especially for you, but also just being your partner and knowing what, at least from what you tell me, 
what the systems in place at your place of teaching are like and just the do's and don'ts of being a good teacher and the struggles and the things that can come up with students, with administration and those things that exist. And this film really chooses to also highlight just ethics that are trying to be upheld by the school, by the teachers individually, by parents, by students. And it just shows just, (laughs) it's just this winding string of tension throughout the whole film. And also just, you feel so challenged and I too am sitting there. I'm like, why are you leaving the classroom? Don't leave the classroom. I mean, the film does a great job of creating that tension through, you know, a lot of the film being the camera following her through the aspect ratio being so tight. Yeah. Um, and the score is very like tension filled. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that I, I didn't really think about until I was reading some stuff about it is that it kind of creates the effect of a closed circuit film in that we never leave the school. Yeah. Um, So while there are multiple days happening and people are going home, we never see Carla's life outside of school. And she like like stays late. Too late. Uh, (laughs) Another like beginner teacher mistake Like you got to have a life. You got to get out of there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's the film then perhaps without us even realizing it makes us feel like this is the entire world. Mm -hmm. And we spend so much of it like nice school, like nice teacher's lounge, nice classrooms, these beautiful pedways. Like it looked like a nicer version of the University of Alberta. Um, I was like, I'd want to teach there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but we spend a lot of time just like following her down these like labyrinthine staircases, and you know, it it creates this feeling of being like trapped in a maze. And that's so well done. It kind of makes it that not a horror horror movie. It had some like yeah. similarities to Shiva Baby to me in that way. Yeah, not the humor of Shiva Baby. Shiva Baby no. is so funny, and this one is not funny at all. Um, I spent a lot of it just like shaking my head being like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the best things I read in David Ehrlich, like the only film critic we really know the name of and follow in his review of teacher's lounge, he said, quote, this lung tightening scholastic thriller imagines what seventh grade might be like if the curriculum were determined by Michael Haneke. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I love, I loved that because it does have some like that vibe, you know, like yeah. it's playing in a very, like dipping its toe in the world of like a Yorgos Lanthimos or Michael Haneke, not going full tilt in that direction, but there's elements of it. And I think, you know, that connection to the Safdie brothers is not off either in terms of like the way it builds stress. Yeah. Um, No, a hundred percent. Yeah. It just, that's a good point too. Yeah. It did feel so claustrophobic and never ending. And I always like, I'm like, if you're using this aspect ratio, what is it? It's like a, it's not four, three, but it's kind of four, three. Yeah. But like more of a square. Yeah. If you're using that aspect ratio, I want there to be a reason for it. And and I think in this film, there certainly is because it heightens that claustrophobia. Yeah. It, it's, it's super well crafted. And yeah, you just feel like you're just going down a spiral and you start questioning the motives. And like, this is the first of two movies where the actions in a school just kind of spiral. and. It just had me, it had me so compelled. And like, this wasn't my favorite film that I saw at the festival, but I'm so glad that I saw it. This was another one, much like Sleep, where we just kind of read the synopsis and we're like, let's fit it in. Like, this sounds 
compelling. This sounds interesting. Like, I think it's incredibly well made and I really enjoyed it and I'm glad I saw it in the theater. I didn't quite know what to make of the ending. Like I didn't quite yeah. know what the intention of the ending was. And it almost honestly, the ending almost felt like magical realism, even though it isn't. Yeah. It kind of was a shift in tone. Yeah. Like it, as soon as we cut to it, it made me laugh. My first response was laughter. And just because of like the tone shift. And I haven't figured out if it's, I haven't totally figured out what it's trying to say. I haven't figured out if I like it or not. I haven't figured out if it's smart or a misstep. <laughs> like I just, <laughs> I'm not quite sure about it. And, you know, this is also the nature of seeing films that are, have only been in the festival circuit is there's just not a lot of conversation about it right now. Like yeah. I, I can't find a Reddit thread where other people are trying to interpret the ending of this film because there's a subset of people who have seen it and then how many of those are really interested in talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, but I did enjoy it and I did think it was well made. I agree. How did it make you feel? Made, made me feel a simmering tension. Tension is the name of the game in these I films this week. Yeah. With the exception of the like lovely balm that is the Jeff McFetridge documentary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It made me feel tense, frustrated, but engaged. Okay, our last film of IFE 2023. I actually think this was my most anticipated film. It will, yeah, More than Anatomy of a Fall. We were like, if this is the only thing on our wish list that makes it whatever. Um, it's the 2023 drama Monster. It's directed by Horokazu Koreeda and written by Yuji Sakamoto. It stars Sakura Ando as Sari, Alida Nagayama as Hori, Soya Kurokawa as Minato, Hanari Hirak. Hiragi as Hoshikawa and Akihiro Tusanoda as the principal. Synopsis. When her young son Minato starts to behave strangely, his mother feels that there is something wrong. Discovering that a teacher is responsible, she storms into the school demanding to know what's going on. But as the truth unfolds to the eyes of a mother, teacher, and child, the truth gradually emerges. What did you think of Monster? This was our last film of IFE. Again, it was an IMAX. We showed up an hour early. <laughs> we did. We were like, we are not going to have bad seats for this. This is the film we want to see the most. Yeah. So if nothing else, seeing sleep in crappy seats at least made us make sure we saw Monster in good seats. Yes. Um, and this is the second time in two years at IFE. I put this in my letterboxed review where a the last film was one of my favorite things I've ever seen. Last year's was After Sun. And B, it just reaffirmed how much I love Koreeda and his storytelling. And he has so many more movies for us to watch. And I was going through his letterbox and like all of them are like 3.8 to 4.4. Yeah. Like they're all highly rated. And so we've seen Shoplifters, Broker, and now Monster. We've covered them all on the show, and I have really loved all of them. Yeah, it, yeah this is no exception. Um, didn't know what to expect, but we were excited for it. All we had seen leading up to this is a long time ago before this even came to any festivals or anything, is that a Japanese-only non-subtitled trailer dropped on YouTube. And, we and watched it was it not together. even like... Um, What's that called? The like 720. Oh, like resolution was? Yeah, the resolution was shit. <laughs> yeah. So it, like it, it was like kind of blurry and fuzzy and 
and it wasn't in English. So we like had no idea what was going on. And I totally thought it was about something else than what it is about. Well, and it set up such a tone that seemed so different from the two other choreative films that we've seen. Yeah, I thought it was going to be radically different and it isn't. And it's called Monster. So you're like, oh, shit. So like shit's going to hit the fan. And even like looking this up, it it's listed as a drama thriller. So even just that descriptor of thriller can evoke a very specific expectation of the film, which wasn't really true. Like it, it is very much still in the same vein as the two previous two films that we've seen of his. Yes. Yeah. Like, but it didn't stop me from waiting for the other shoe to drop throughout the whole movie. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I also really love a film where we're seeing the same story played out across three different perspectives. And as you see each perspective, it reveals new angles on things we've seen previously or different ways that unfold or like it just it reveals new things each time you go through the same scenarios. And it can (laughs) I love the way that this film can take one character and make them deplorable. And then you spend a little bit more time with them from their perspective. And you're like, Oh, this is just a misunderstanding from the first perspective. And then it's just, it completes this really nice arc of fleshing out all our characters in a unique way. Can you think of other films that we've seen that, that have this multiple perspectives? Cause I was trying to think of some, I know I've seen them, but I mean, to a degree, after Sun kind of does that, but you only get it when you watch it a second time or like in revisiting the same events with new information. I don't know. I'd have to think about it, but I do love the way that this film uses the three different perspectives, these like three distinct acts to thematically explore how just the truth of human life is that we have such a limited scope of another person, even the people that we think we know the most. Because so much of their lives are in their heads, are away from us at their schools, at their jobs, at their time spent alone. Um, And all we can do is attempt to communicate Mm -hmm. and then interpret. And to some degree, this film is exploring similar ideas as Anatomy of a Fall, Mm -hmm. but in a very different way and in a very different context. And... I just think that is so true. It is so true that we we can't ever really know anything fully about anyone. Yeah. Context and information are not always reliable. And sometimes that's all you have. So you have to go by. But I mean, even, even when you're in, in the same room as somebody, you don't always know what's happening in their head. And sometimes they don't know and they can't communicate that to you. I mean... We both love the book Life of Pi and I always get, I teach it in grade 11 and I always get quite emotional at the part so I tell the students that Life of Pi isn't about religion. It's about faith. And faith can be totally secular. Mm-hmm. Right? And and one of the most beautiful parts about that is when they, he uh, Pi says to the translators near the end of the film, or not film, near mm-hmm. the end of the book, um, he says, God is hard to believe. Ask any believer. Life is hard to believe. Ask any scientist. Love is hard to believe. Ask any lover. Right? And then he says, what is your problem with hard to believe? And I I always say, like, it's so true. Like, all we can do is trust that when somebody says they love us, that they really do. Mm -hmm. We can't know. And so I think this film is is ultimately about that. Like, 
where we put our trust, where we put our faith, where we put our optimism, how we approach the very real life limitation of the fact that we can't know everything and how we then interpret behavior and events and, and what lens we put on that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's so important. And explored and displayed so, so beautifully in this film. And complexly and nuanced, which again is like, that's my thing. And, and also so artfully. Yeah. Um, this of all of the films we watched, I think has the most going on from a, like a film technique perspective, um, to just, create something that has so much symbolic nuance through framing and through perspective and through color and through parallel shots. And it's a, it's a real film studies film well, and in it, a way that anatomy of a fall just isn't. Yeah. Like it, this film cares enough to have our characters wear a t-shirt that says working class. So, but like there's no, there's no pointing that out or anything, but it just speaks to the person's personality just through their clothing. Totally. You know, and this is um, this is a film that I just think you already said it. Like, Creator is becoming one of our favorite directors. I think once I've seen three, if I've read three books, listened to three albums, seen three films, and I love them all, like you're in my tops now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna check out anything else that you do. Um, there's a couple of things that I I read from other reviews that I just thought were so well said. And, and one I want to start with is from uh, Alexandra Heller Nicholas. So this is a, a bite from her review quote monster keeps its secrets and secrets until its final moments, leaving us with the feeling that we have earned its trust and are worthy of the precious, beautiful truths that lie at its heart. It's perfectly encapsulates how I felt. And I think that that's what created does in all of his films is he, he's telling us that he trusts us and he trusts us enough not to spell it all out. Mm -hmm. He trusts us enough to feel the emotional core of it. Now, what that means is I think some people, they don't trust the film enough. Yes. To, to enter that relationship with it and let it exist in an ambiguous, but yet so clear place. Yeah. Um, and I, I've read a lot of interpretations of the ending of the film that I just strongly disagree with. And that is not unlike After Sun and, and some of the things that I read last year. One of the other things uh, from Robert Roger Ebert's site, uh, Brallen, Brallen, Brian Tallarico said, quote, Monster is another striking piece of work from a master, a movie that's so carefully calibrated that you get lost in these characters, forgetting their performers and not people caught up in a genuinely traumatic chapter of life. Yeah. Like when we we were we saw this film with our friends Yensu and Rosiva and after the film we were all standing around outside talking and Yensu said like I have to remind myself they're fictional <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like yeah that's I mean how beautiful of a film when like you need to remind yourself of that because it feels so real and you feel so genuinely invited into the lives of these people and invested in them mm -hmm. um, it was stunning yeah my favorite film of the festival and and I'm with you one of my favorite films I've ever seen yeah how does I keep doing that? Like introducing me to one of my new favorite all time films for the last film that I see. Yeah. It's, it's so beautiful. <laughs> it's so well-written. Yuji Sakamoto wrote a beautiful screenplay. Which uh, won the Palm d'Or for screenplay. Yep. And the, the music by uh, Ryuichi Sakamoto, who is, there's a dedication in memory of uh, him at the end of the film. 
So he's, he passed away, but the music just, it has this one particular cue that uh, pops up a few different times. It's kind of the, you could call it the theme of the film. That's just so soft and beautiful. Just a lot of like piano music. And it's so gorgeous. It's so gorgeously compliments the film. Well, I was reading about this because it feels like this was a really meaningful film for Creator because the screenwriter was somebody he'd always wanted to collaborate with. Mm-hmm. And the composer was somebody he'd always wanted to collaborate with. And when he, you know, um, connected with the composer, he was quite ill. Mm-hmm. Like he had cancer. Um, and he said he didn't have the like energy time or strength to compose a full score. So he composed a partial score. Mm-hmm. And so that, that repetition of the score is part that came out of this place where he wasn't able to do a full score. And yet, Creator honors him by like using that as a full score. Well, and what a what a beautiful them- thematic tie to that too, where we're only getting parts of the story mm-hmm. throughout the film. And the film is ultimately dedicated to the composer who who unfortunately passed away before it was completed. Um, it just seems like this was a really like collaborative and like highly creative experience for Corrieta where he was working with people he admires and that everybody trusted each other to like do their part in the process. Like you compose, you write, I direct, and we all make this beautiful thing together and trust in each other's strengths. Yeah. Um, I love that. Like it's so beautiful to hear and see that collaboration pay off. Um, and there was, you and I talked about this afterwards too. Like we sometimes, and we've talked about this on the show. We sometimes feel unsure about child actors being in things and just worry about like even if they were treated well on set like just the intensity of making a film and embodying a character and like ensuring that like their emotions are cared for too and there's a couple things we were worried might happen in the film and 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 they they don't and I think that's the correct thing to do for the well-being of the real human child actors mm-hmm. um but creator often has children in his films and it seems like he works really well with them and and is really caring towards them um and i think this film explores a very specific time in childhood there's a line at the beginning of the film that i kind of forgot about until today where it's really early on where minato is like leaving for school and he says to his mom she's she does like a kind of like don't step on the crack. You'll break your mother's back type thing. Mm-hmm. And he says, ah, that was when I was a kid and, and he can't hear her, but she says, you're still a kid mm. or like, you're still a child. And I think this age of like 10, 11 is that time where like, you feel like you're starting to become your own person and can like start to separate from adults and like have your own world and have your own life. And you still are so reliant on them and they are still so concerned about you. And it's such a highly specific time. And I think this film explores that with such beautiful nuance yeah like we were kind of talking about it this morning of just yeah reflecting on that like the grade five grade six where we are that's usually the end of elementary and you're about to go into junior high but it seems like that was the case for the school and in here as well that they were in like the final grade and so before they changed to another school and there's just always that thing of yeah when you're in the final grade that a school goes to where you're the top of the school, you're the oldest, you're the people that the younger people look up to. And there's this thing of 
I'm trying to be my own person, but I'm, I'm kind of also supposed to be a role model and I, I, I'm gaining independence, but I still very much rely on my parents or guardians to help me out or assist me with things. And I, I have crushes, but I don't know what that means. And there's just so many of those. And I'm a kid, but I don't want to be a kid. And yeah, I'm starting to become older and I don't want to become older and like that contradiction existing at the same time. And I'm at war with my body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so much going on. And um, something that has happened to me in all three creative films is like, I'm just so swept up in it. And then it reaches a point where I start crying and I basically don't stop, but it's not like deep bawling, heaving sighs, not after sun level crying, but it's just like, I'm kind of quietly consistently crying from like a certain yeah. point in the film on. <laughs> and that happened again in this one where and I was talking about this um, with our friend Elliot who had seen it before us and been like, it's so good. It's my favorite thing that I've seen. And they were kind of like, I hope I don't hype this too much for you or like favorite thing that they saw at, at IFE. Um, and we both kind of said, yeah, last 20 minutes, we were just kind of like misty the whole time. I was full crying, but it would be kind of like three minutes of crying. And then I'd compose myself for a while and then something else would happen and I would start crying. But it's this like gentle. I, so the Rotten Tomatoes, um, critical consensus is quote, gently devastating in its compassion, Monster is a masterpiece of shifting perspectives that surprises to the end. And I think that like gently devastating in its compassion is such an accurate way to describe the film. Yeah. Cause yeah, I, I felt, I felt emotional the whole way through. Like I felt like this, I just kind of let the movie take me on the journey. And I, there were so many bits in the beginning and throughout where it made it made me feel emotional without any tears leaving my eyes. But fucking Yuji Sakamoto wrote one of the best lines about happiness and it's delivered so well. It's one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. And, and by a character that like through all perspectives we haven't particularly connected with or empathized with. And then having that character deliver that line is so impactful. Yeah. And then from then to the end, I was more or less a wreck. Yeah. I mean, this guy just manages to get me. And it's so, I mean, I think the thing about the three films of his we've seen is that even when they're exploring really difficult things, there's such a level of kindness and generosity and empathy in it. And Hoshikawa is like literally one of my favorite characters I've ever seen in any form of art ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and is played so well by that little kid, um, Hinati Hiragi. Like, wow, all the flowers for that guy. Yeah. Um, I just love this so much. I think anyone who has a chance to see it absolutely should. And I'm so excited for more people to see this and to experience it. If you haven't seen any of Koreeda's previous films, namely Shoplifters and Broker, which are the two that we've seen, Seek them out. They're gorgeous. So, so good. Um, I do want to mention, because I looked this up today, and I think it's an absolute travesty, none of his films are in the Criterion Collection. He has films on Criterion Channel, but none of his films are official Criterion films, and I, I think that's wrong. It's a misstep. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a real bummer. Um, 
Maybe they're holding out and they're going to put out a whole pack. <laughs> Maybe. But this is a film that I think is going to be even richer on a rewatch. It's definitely one I can see myself revisiting fairly often. Mm-hmm. Really loved it. Really amazing. One of the best films I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. How did it make you feel? Just in love with its beauty. How did it make you feel? Tender, beautiful sorrow. Gorgeous. Let's that, talk about dads. That's it. Okay. The Dads of Ife. 2023. My Bad Dad nominee was Samuel, Samuel, Sim, Samuel. <laughs> Sam, Samuel. Uh, from Anatomy of a Fall. Without getting too much into it, I just, we've kind of already spoken about it. You know, he has these, he internalizes his feelings and then they kind of manifest his anger and spite. And he thinks he's hard done by it, but he really isn't. And having had and have having a dad like this that has acted similarly and had a similar attitude to what Samuel has. It's not fun. It's not a, it's not a great person to have in your life for a person to look up to. So that's my nominee. Who was your pick? Good nominee. Um, I picked Paul from close to you. It's the brother-in-law. Yeah, I hate that guy. Yeah. I mean, there's a. I also considered the prosecutor from Anatomy of a Fall, but I was like, you're not even worth my time. You said prosecutor. In my head, I heard the word prospector, and I went straight to Toy Story 2. I mean, that's bad dad, too. <laughs> but Paul in, in Close to You is just... I think I'm picking Paul for a similar reason that you're picking Samuel, and that Paul is a figure I've had in my own life and kind of continue to have in my own life. Um that has like caused me a, and does continue to cause me a lot of emotional harm. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe unintentionally, sometimes not unintentionally. And I just think like that person who like seeks to get under somebody else's skin, but does it in a way where like they can claim they didn't mean to, yeah. um, is such an insidiously harmful person. And that was something that like I just haven't seen depicted on screen in a in a way that was so true to what I've experienced in my own life. Um, and yet doesn't paint them as like a sociopathic, dangerous person, but as a like you are harmful and what you're doing is harmful in a very realistic way. I think by not, not hyperbolizing it and keeping it like so grounded to the real experience that so many so many of us have with people like this. Um it was just so, so real. And I think that kind of person who talks in these kinds of ways and says these kinds of things, but in such a like manipulative way so that they can claim to like have not meant it is, is one of the worst types of people. Well, and I think what's scary about a person like that, and in this case, the character of Paul is that there, there's no fear of repercussion. No. And that is horrifying that I can say the most deplorable shit to you and I'll still get to stay for dinner. Mm -hmm. And that is awful. And that if I'm the one that's upset, I have to leave. Mm -hmm. And that, and that this is like a dynamic that's been established over time. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I really hated that dude. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Fuck Paul. All right. I I mean, I don't know how you're going to find a photo of him, but Paul, (laughs) (laughs) don't don't be be our dad. dad. Uh, rad dad. 
I'm hoping we have the same one, which will also be another one. At least, hard to find. <laughs> at least mine will be a hard photo to find. Who's your pick? I picked Hoshikawa from Monster. Of course. Um, yeah, like I said, this is one of my favorite characters. Not just that I've seen in film, that I've seen in any media. Mm-hmm. Um, and played so well. And yet, not... Like, this still is a complex character. It's not like this is an oversimplified character. Mm-mm. There's a lot going on here, and I think it's going to be even more rife on a rewatch when you know where the film's going, like seeing this character from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But this is just a person who, like, chooses optimism, who chooses kindness. You compared him to a Waymond Wang, like, who... It's not like they don't... Like, he doesn't experience pain. It's not like he he very much does that he chooses to be kind. He chooses to be happy. Um, and yet also is thinking about the world and thinking about other people. And like, there's this constant like reflection and curiosity and like desire to connect. And yeah, he's not ignorant. No. And like, like he wants to know more and yet he just continues to choose kindness and empathy and optimism, Yeah, which like I struggle with in my own life. I'd love to be that person and I'm not, but I'm so inspired by those types of people so I can try more and more to to have pockets of that and to try and like catch myself being pessimistic or cynical or nihilistic and be like, you have a choice here to some degree, of course. Right. But to not always be the cynic, not to always be the pessimist. Well, I think just freaking see the Wayman's whole monologue about kindness and how people see him as naive or. But it's intentional and he is fighting. It's just a different way to fight. Like think about, actually think about being kind and choosing that outlook on life. That'd be really fucking hard to do. Oh, it's way harder than being pessimistic or grouchy. Oh yeah. It's really That's why I suck at it. Into that. Yeah. I don't suck at it, but it's not, I have to work hard at it. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah, just to add to what you said, he's the sweetest little nugget. I haven't said this yet and I kept meaning to and I just couldn't find my spot, but at one point, this little nugget is wearing a little tur- like half turtleneck <laughs> yeah. number with some overalls, and it is the cutest fucking outfit. Like, come <laughs> go see Monster just for this outfit. Well, our, our friends that we saw it with, because um, <laughs> it is it is a film we were trying to figure out with like what's going on, and uh, I guess Yunsu kept like gasping, and then their partner Ari would like be like, oh, what did you figure out? And then it would just be, the kids are so cute. (laughs) (laughs) And like, they are, especially Hoshikawa. All the kids are really cute, but Hoshikawa is just like friggin' adorable. Yeah. Um, The haircut, the outfits, the just the smile. It's, I don't know how you can't just like want to take that little nugget home in your pocket. Yeah. I mean, he's just, yeah, he's a little Wayman. He's a vessel of kindness and he's patient. He's caring. He lives his truth. He's fashionable. He is fashionable. Um, I just, I just. He has snacks. Does have snacks. Like what? And he fuck? shares them. Yeah. I love this kid. I love this character. Yeah. Hoshikawa. Uh, your dad. dad. Okay. Coming to the end of this rad rap. I have twenty twenty three. Oh wait, I'm gonna bonus daddy. Oh. I'm going to bone. Uh, yeah, I'll just. And, and I have a bonus daddy. Do tell. Sam from close to you. Yeah. Yeah. Elliot Page is one babely babe. 
and Sam as a character is no exception. Yeah. Um, Elliot Page and the character Sam, so fashionable as well. I mean, there's a lot of hoodies and toques, but that toque, my God. I mean, I am a sucker for a a hipster in a toque. I don't I, 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 uh, a hipster in a fall outfit with a toque on. <laughs> I will fall in love with you. <laughs> and you- I don't doubt that Elliot Page dresses like that to some degree. And I'm like, oh, goodness gracious. He's in Canada a lot. It's not out of the realm of possibility for me. And it is basically how I dress. Oh, come, yeah. Come I mean, time. I got a type. <laughs> like, let's, yeah. let's not kid ourselves. Gender doesn't matter, but I have a type. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm here for it. So, uh, Sam. Weet we woot. Woot. Okay. Coming to an end. Of this rad rap on IFE 2023. What are you going to take away from IFE 2023? So a couple different things. Um, one of the things that I always appreciate so deeply about IF is, for the most part, the community feel of the audience. Like, it is very rare to not have a really solid audience at an IF film, despite the fact that it's really full. There was a very, very loud popcorn eater beside us. I, I'm going to chalk that up to like just like ignorance of how loud they're being and not like actually doofusy behavior because no one was talking. Um, but for like Anatomy of a Fall, just like such a locked in audience. And so, you know, whenever we see a film that's like a big audience and everyone's all in, I always feel quite emotional. Like the power of of that. And we've talked about this since episode one, the power of both the collective and individual experience happening at the same time, mm-hmm. and like every, everyone honoring everyone else's individual experience by locking in. Yeah. Like that is such a kindness to your fellow moviegoers to give them the space to have their own experience. And then in when that's happening, you feel it. Like you feel this collective thrum, you feel this collective lean in um, regardless of genre. You know, if it's a comedy we we saw a comedy this week that wasn't part of IFE that we'll talk about in a different rad rap where there's so much joyous laughter in the theater. And just when you can have that communal gasp or that communal jump in sleep, there's a really good like jump scare <laughs> at the very beginning of sleep that like you can kind of feel everyone jump mm-hmm. at and, and the power of that. The other thing I'm going to take away from this is how beautiful and wonderful it is to see films with our friends. We saw a lot of these films with new and old friends. Mm-hmm. Um, And it felt like we were just like the right people without even planning it, saw the right movies with us Mm -hmm. um, in really, really beautiful ways where we were able to have really lovely, even sometimes short, sometimes long, but really lovely conversations that the films opened up for us. Yeah. Um, And that's one of my favorite things about film is that ability to connect over it and to have it like open doorways of conversation um, and the final thing I'm going to take away from it is monster yeah. like that. Just there's a lot of really good film here. I had a lot of, I, there wasn't a film that I didn't like. Um, but monster was such a phenomenal way to close out life for us. What about you? Um, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of, I agree with everything that you said. Uh, I mean, a takeaway was clearly being a good teacher and playing within the rules and not overstepping them is very important. 
I try really hard to do that. <laughs> um, and just feeling so solidified and proven that Corrieta is officially one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. He's three for three of the films I've seen. And that's so lovely. I'm so grateful for getting to see Monster and yeah, getting to see it with the all of the movies with the with the audiences that we did. And, and I mean, finally, I'm just, I'm so grateful for this festival that we have a festival like this in our city and the people that are involved in it. Um, and yeah, just the locked in movie goers that it's an anomaly if you have a doink in the audience and it may, and it, when you're seeing some of the best films from around the world that people are there and are giving it the respect and the time that they deserve the curation that, that, that Ife is able to put together. They're bringing in some of the best stuff. And I'm just even more grateful. Like I said, off the top that we are now becoming a, an even larger part of it and that we are part of the Ife team and the community and that we're helping them out and that we're just becoming a part of the Edmonton film community it's, it's really, really lovely cool. to keep making connections with you know people that we run into who we've just met going to movies and you just give them a little wave and people who are involved in metro and running metro and people are involved in IFE and, and knowing them and knowing their names and getting to do like a hi how are you and like a quick chat about things and um IFE makes us feel like the IFE team makes us feel so welcome as mm -hmm. people who um you know, get to moderate some Q and A's who come to the films just because we want to, um, who volunteer, you know, as a representative of our podcast. And then you in your career who works with them in a different capacity. I love how the team just like welcomes us in with such generosity and warmth. Mm -hmm. And, um, I hope that more and more people go out every year because it's a really special thing. And, we have a film festival that with people who are passionate and love film and are helping to curate local and international and award winners and ones that are maybe less heard of um, in such a thoughtful way. And we don't need to travel elsewhere to do that. We can, we can stay in Edmonton and support our local film festival and help grow it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's I'm again. I'm so grateful we have this in our city, and the fact that IFE is an Oscar qualifying festival. Like there are short films that have gone on to that, win the Oscar to win Oscars. IFE was one of the first places, was the first place in Edmonton that you could see Parasite before it got a wide release. They're offering something very special for movie fans and moviegoers in our city. If you're in Edmonton and you have never gone to Edmonton Film Festival yet, try to make an effort to see at least one film there in 2024. We'll be there. We always are. You bet. Okay. So I will say for Bad Dad, Rad Dad, we officially consider IF 2023 radically wrapped. Thank you so much for listening. We drop a new episode of our regular show every Thursday. Until then, you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram and threads at baddad.raddad. Get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual letterboxed accounts. Our usernames are in the show notes. 
And we would absolutely love you forever if you'd share us with the rad people in your life and drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. But that's going to do it for these mother ifers this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot. My dad's a deadbeat. But remember, not all dads have to be bad. Mm-hmm.